We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Welcome to the Advanced Sports Analytics Show here on Roto-Grinders. My name is Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender Ed, Blender HD. Hopefully on top of you in the, the GPPs this coming Sunday. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't this past Sunday. Uh, Join with me is uh, one of the proprietors of Advanced Sports Analytics, the man behind the, the, the spreadsheets and the models and the, and the, 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 the math stuff. Uh, it's uh, it's it's Stuart Gibson, and and you came out with an article. It was a free one on Advanced Sports Analytics that uh, kind of analyzed last week's slate with the uh, with some of the stuff that we were talking about. Where in GPPs you compare, we're trying to compare the the likelihood of a shootout in a game with the stack price, like the point per dollar for the stack, compared to the ownership and. Uh, while we we, we kind of had a little debate where obviously we want to uh, highlight and attack the high total games, more likely to shoot out, but that's also tends to be where the ownership goes. And it also tends to be where more expensive players go. But uh, for the week one slate, like in the, the Millie maker on DK, uh, you seem to find that uh, some of the high total games were actually under owned and those middling games we're actually overowned. Yeah, well, I mean, I thought last week with Brandon uh, and you, you guys had a really interesting conversation. Uh, I think Brandon on the side of really wanting to chase these super high total games. Um, and I think your approach of kind of trying to identify games in the middle that have that likelihood of possibly going high and, you know, being okay with, hey, look, if the high game goes high, um, and everyone's on it. I know, lose. That just did. I lose. <laughs> and like that happens. But if, uh, you know, everyone's on the high game and it goes low and you're somewhere in the middle, uh, you know, you win. And I thought that was an interesting kind of discussion. And like, I know 
certainly in the show, like I didn't really have a strong opinion one way or the other. Um, you know, I don't spend too much time chasing these massive, uh, you know, pool uh, prizes. But um, yeah, I was just interested to kind of look back at the millionaire maker from last week and see kind of where the ownership went. And, um, you know, I think just tying in some of our tools and I think also kind of the, the way that you discuss uh, things in terms of a range of outcomes, you know, I think it's so easy to look at, uh, you know, team A and be like, oh, well, they're the highest implied point total. Uh, you know, they're going to be the highest scoring team. And, you know, with, with the way that variance works and just like, you know, the, that implied total is a median, um, you know, just because you're the high implied, uh, you know, point total team, the actual odds of you still landing the high total on the slate really aren't that high. I mean, you're the, you're maybe the highest of the, uh, you know, 26, uh, yeah, 26 or maybe 24 teams uh, to land that high total, but, you know, you're still a, a team of one going up against a field of 23, like odds are you're actually not going to land the high total. And I mean, we saw that with Green Bay, like that was, uh, or, or I guess with, we'll start with Baltimore, you know, they were kind of the high implied team and, you know, they quite nearly got there, but still like when you're trying to fend off 23 other teams, odds are, uh, you know, the high team isn't, the high implied team isn't actually going to be the high scoring team. And, um, you know, when you factor in kind of variance, uh, there's reasonable ways of kind of just calculating the odds of each team being the high scoring team. And that's not to say that, you know, uh, a tournament winning stack has to come from the high team because, you know, the way passing and running, uh, you know, team dynamics work. I think there were actually last week, a pretty large pool of teams with high implied point totals that you just kind of had a feeling like if they were going to get there, it wasn't going to be through a, all out aerial assault, which might lend itself towards, you know, a big stack, but, but really through just like dominating on the ground. Um, but yeah, I, I went back and you can go to the website to, I guess, read the article in full, but, uh, the general gist is kind of, uh, we, we plotted, um, probability of teams being the high scoring, uh, team on the slate versus the proportion of double stacks that were owned, um, that were associated with those teams. And, and when you when you say double stacks, that would be a quarterback with two of their teammates. Yes, two of their teammates. Uh, we I, I was looking specifically at wide receivers or tight ends. I definitely know there are some like you know Eckler is a super viable as a running back, a part of a you know super viable Chargers stack. Uh, you know, there's a number of other running backs around the league that are just really strong pass catchers, and you know could be a part of. Um, you know, quote, you know, traditional double stack, but um, I, I was looking just at, you know, pass catchers and their quarterbacks. Um, and, you know, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but like to me, an efficient strategy of, you know, if you were max entering 150 lineups, an efficient strategy might be to say, all right, let me look at the, you know, this week we have 26 teams on the main slate. Let me see the probability of, all those, if each of those teams being the top scoring team on the slate, scale that probability by price of stack, um, you know, and just allocate uh, your lineups towards those, uh, you know, different stacks according to price scale probability. Now, um, A, I'm interested to hear like why that could potentially be wrong. You know, what are, what are the pitfalls there? I mean, to me, I think one interest, you know, obvious one is that, you know, some teams that have efficient offenses uh, you know, have a ground oriented offense. So they don't really lend themselves to double stacking or 
uh, you know, they have a super, like super condensed target tree where, um, you know, there's really not necessarily room for more than one player to have an explosive game uh, as a pass catcher, or they have a super, uh, you know, sparse target tree where uh, it's kind of hard to pin down, uh, you know, two players that you like. Um, but, you know, am I, am I crazy here to think that this is like a, a one possible way to think about it where say, uh, yeah, like how likely is each team to be the high team on the slate, uh, you know, allocate my stacks uh, accordingly. Um, That's essentially what we're looking for when, we, when we're stacking games, when hmm. you're either stacking one side of a game or the game itself, like you're playing a double stack, a three man quarterback, two pass catchers, and then a run back or even two run backs in like a super type of stack or three, three that some people do, uh, which is extremely high variance, but uh, it's very similar to what Roto grinders has for uh, MLB uh, called slate IQ. And every day uh, Jimino comes out with, you know, he runs a simulation of 25 comparable slates with the pricing and the types of players and from results DB, because we have all the DK information. And then obviously the chances of it being in the winning lineup. So it doesn't necessarily mean the highest score. So like a, a cores game in baseball typically have high totals, but also the prices of those players tend to be bumped up because of it. Is it a slate that has high price pitching that has high ceilings? Well, that leads itself to possibly having cheaper stacks having an increased probability of appearing in the winning lineup. So it's not, to me, it's not necessarily what's the high total game. It's what's, what's the most likely high total stack. Cause I'm like, I'm like Roto grinders, which you could, uh, there's a limited time offer core four subscription. If you want to get uh, all the premium tools, lineup HQ, ownership projections. We have so much NFL content. It's ridiculous. Access to the Discord. I'm in Discord seemingly all day. So you can ask me anything you want. You join the NFL channel and mention me. I'll answer any question, pretty much any question you want. As long as it's not like, you know, do I play this guy or that guy? It's like something based on DFS strategy. Uh, so you could go to rotogrinders.com slash media slash ASA or click on the link in the description in the YouTube video. And you're in your first month, $5 off the core four subscription for NFL, MLB, NBA, PGA. You get it all. Uh, and also all the premium NFL shows. So this show is free. And uh, I think it's one of the best free shows there is in the industry. A lot of people like it. But would you agree, uh, Stuart, that like, for instance, this week, for instance, I'm, I'm just using a for instance, uh, we got... Uh, Obviously, the chalk is going to... The highest total game is the Falcons and the Cowboys. 54 total. Uh, but we also have, like, like, the Chiefs. The Chiefs-Chargers have... that Their totals come down to 47 and a half. But, like, a Chiefs stack, for instance, like the stack Mahomes, Hill, and Kelsey is very, very expensive. So, like, in order for that to be the highest scoring... they The Chiefs could put up the highest points on the board. They, let's say they have the highest point. They put up 38 points as a team. And the Falcons and Cowboys each put out 29 or something. Well, based on the prices, like the Cowboys stack probably, you know, if they're, they're, if it's two touchdowns to Cooper and one to Lamb, 
and, a, and another and a Zeke receiving touchdown or something. Prescott's in the winning lineup. You got you got the Cowboy stack wins only because like Kelsey doesn't hit the hundred yard bonus. Hill doesn't have hey Hill has the hundred yard bonus and no touchdown because Demarcus Robinson has one of the touchdowns. Like the Chiefs could put up the most amount of points and none of their players end up in the winning lineup. So to me, the dis- I don't necessarily just look at the range of outcomes of like the game. Like I look at what ways could the production in the game and the distribution of points, fantasy points in the game, how can it be skewed? So like, what's that? Like I, what would be like that Venn diagram, like circles? So like, for instance, taking the, the Falcons Cowboys, like if I told you that the Cowboys were going to put up 32 to 35 points, you could find ways because it's very easy to say, well, I think the Cowboys put up 14 points. So I'm fading the game. Like that makes it easy. Cause if they score only two touchdowns, like that stack is dead. Like you, you, no one makes value, but there are instances in which uh, the Cowboys stack scores 28 points, 35 points. And let's say it's spread out. So let's, if it's spread out and it's, if it's spread out to the expensive guys, they put up deep, they put up good scores, but not like have to have scores. But it could also be three touchdowns to Amari Cooper and one rushing town touchdown to to Elliott. And the only person on the team that's worth having is Cooper because obviously he has 40 plus points. They still put up 35. Or it could be that CeeDee Lamb has one touchdown, but since he's 4,700, now the double stack's good. Now you want Prescott, Cooper, Lamb. So I look in terms of how do the pieces go together and there are certain teams where if I stack the chiefs, maybe the Chiefs' stack is Mahomes, Kelsey, and that's it. And just Kelsey has 150 yards and two touchdowns and CEH and Hill just don't make value based on that. That's why I look for those cheaper stacks because it's like, what players do I need to get one touchdown from? And what players do I need to get a touchdown and a hundred yards from? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely like, parameters that you need to kind of scale that probability by. So like price, I think is a pretty easy one to just internalize from cut with kind of the human eye. And like, also we worked pretty, pretty simply like are able to, you know, consider the parameter of price. Um, I think some of the more difficult ones that you're discussing is like concentration of team production. Um, I think, you know, off the top of my head, I have some ideas as to my, how we might do that, but you know, it, it becomes kind of a complex puzzle to solve. Um, but I do think like, to me, the most quantifiable and uh, easily, easily accessible parameters that we might consider is, you know, pure likelihood of topping the slate and then scaling that by relative cost of the stack. And, um, you know, there's a couple of different ways. I mean, you could define relative costs. Uh, you look simply at like the quarterback and his top two receivers or, you know, the quarterback and kind of the average of top four receiver, you know, but it does become hairy. So for the, for the point of this exercise, uh, you know, I, I just looked at the cost of a stack uh, quarterback plus his top two receivers as per DK pricing um, scaled likelihood of topping the slate with points by price. And, you know, then took a look and said like, okay, here are the 13 teams we have. Here's how likely they are, uh, you know, per dollar to be the uh, top scorer on the slate. And then here's how much they were owned in double stacks. And 
I thought it was interesting. I mean, you know, you can go to the article and read it for kind of further detail or to see all 13 teams. But I mean, there were some interesting teams that stuck out as uh, where ownership was in massive excess of the likelihood that, that team topped the slate uh, per dollar. Uh, the teams that jumped out there were, I mean, Tampa Bay uh, was the second most owned double stack um, or a Tampa Bay double stack was the second most uh, owned double stack. So we're talking about it would be what Brady Godwin Evans. So, I mean, I I wasn't looking at, um, you know, quarterback plus the top two receivers. I was just looking at quarterback plus any two receivers. So, um, you know, perhaps you, maybe that high Tampa Bay ownership was because there was a, I would say Tampa Bay had kind of a wide mix of receivers that you could go with uh, to pair with Brady. I mean, Godwin would probably be the cornerstone, but you could have gone, Um, you know, Evans, if you thought he wasn't going to be, you know, on any sort of snap count, you could have gone Miller, you could have gone Watson, uh, you could have gone with a couple of the tight ends there. So, you know, maybe that's maybe why some inflation appeared for Tampa Bay, but Atlanta was a team that was the most owned uh, double stack about over. uh, Let's see, I'm looking at a graph. So I got to do these axes axes. Um, but like over 10% of double stacks were Atlanta uh, double stacks when, uh, you know, per dollar, we estimated them as being, uh, you know, about a 4% likelihood of scoring the most real points. To me, that seems like a inefficient and kind of over owned stack where you have, you know, 10% of contestants that are double stacking going with Atlanta when, you know, they only have a 4% chance of, uh, you know, topping the slate in terms of real points per dollar. I mean, I guess to me, you know, you could make a case that Atlanta, they're so uh, pass heavy when they're playing from behind that like, A, they don't need to be the top scoring team on the slate in terms of real points to be one of the top scoring fantasy stacks. And, um, you know, if they actually do achieve kind of top uh, real point total on the slate that, you know, they're fantasy points would just be astronomical, but uh, I thought that was an interesting, uh, those were two teams that really jumped out as super high double stack ownership when uh, per dollar, they didn't really have that high of a likelihood of being one of the top uh, real football point scoring teams um, on the slate. Philadelphia was another team uh, that had kind of really high double stack ownership, but not that high of being, not that high probability of being top scoring team on the slate. per dollar in terms of real fantasy, uh, real football points. Uh, some teams that stuck that stood out as having a pretty high relative likelihood of topping the slate uh, in terms of real fantasy points or real football points per dollar uh, that went largely under own. Uh, Baltimore didn't go largely under own, but the uh, level of kind of double stack ownership lagged behind uh, their their you know top likelihood of being kind of the top scorer on the slate. Um, San Francisco ownership was super low when uh, they had, I mean, I would assume the second highest total on the slate. We or we had them projected as the uh, second most likely team to lead the slate in uh, real points scored per dollar. Um, their ownership for double stack was, was less than half of that. I thought that was, and that was a, that was a, team we actually discussed a little bit on the show last week um you know a lot of uncertainty with the 49ers because 
with the, you know, the air injuries and then Kittle getting injured and then them running the ball and having multiple running backs. It's one of those teams where people don't like stacking because they're really, there's no clear way to do it. So people tend to shy away from the uncertainty. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, the, the, the uncertainty that you kind of get access to by stacking them, I, I think potentially could be mitigated by the under ownership you have. You know, I think that's kind of a trade-off that is difficult to navigate, uh, you know, purely quantitatively, but um you know, we'll see. Their their total's pretty low this week and Kittle injured, so it's not um I, I do kind of wonder with this study, you know, how how transferable are the findings from the prior week to the future week? You know, uh, okay, San Francisco's under owned last week, but now they're in a completely different game. Uh, you know, they have a new set of kind of injury circumstances. Um Indianapolis was a team that had a pretty high total. Uh and went largely under own from a double stack standpoint. But again, these are teams that are pretty run heavy. So I do kind of wonder if the reason we're not seeing uh, super high double stack exposure on these uh, seemingly high totals and seemingly likely teams to lead the slate is because there's fear that, you know, if they achieve kind of this high total, they're going to run the ball a lot, which, you know, I think is warranted with uh kind of double stack consideration, like you're doing that to gain uh, fantasy points through the air. But um, but so I think those are, those are good situations to have secondary correlations. So for instance, like I was talking about last week about the running back and opposing wide receiver, like in those situations where you don't expect an either aerial attack to be highest scoring, but you still expect the game to be uh, high scoring where where you have, like, for instance, I know we're going to come back to the Falcons-Cowboys game, but there's an instance in the range of outcomes where Zeke Elliott scores all the touchdowns, and where, like, the Cowboys march down the field and Zeke punches in three and four even, and Julio or Ridley or Gage or Hurst or someone on the other side, because the game is still going back and forth. It just so happens that Elliott you know, is catching balls out of the backfield. He has, you know, five catches. He has 130 yards rushing and three touchdowns. And then you look and the receivers did okay. I mean, you, you, you it, Mari Cooper is sitting there with 18 points and CeeDee Lamb's there with 12 points and Gallup has 14 points, but like it's unnecessary for the stack. But there's going to be, a, if the game's back and forth, it doesn't mean that Ryan plus Julio plus Ridley got there. Well, maybe one of them did. Maybe Julio had a 140-yard game. Maybe Ridley had two touchdowns, and you could pair it up that pair it up that way in a lineup with another stack. So that's kind of where I look at those secondary correlations. Like for this week, like getting into the games, we have a lot of games. I mean, the 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 highest total game is 54 with the the Falcons Cowboys, and it's going to be the most owned game. But we have totals. We have games with close to 50 totals. It's not like we're, we're, we're have a dearth of, we, we, we don't have, we, we have good games that have totals that may be largely overlooked, at least from a stacking perspective, that when I say that I'm building a hundred large field GPP lineups on Sunday, and I'm not going to have a single double stack of this game, that doesn't mean I'm not playing players in this game. It just means that I, I'm either having 
Dak with one of the receivers and not a double stack. I'm having Ryan with one of the receivers, not a double stack, or I'm just having just their one-offs. I'm having Elliott as a one-off, Cooper as a one-off, Gallup, Lamb, the Schultz, who knows? And then same for the, the Falcons side. But I think from a from a double stacking perspective, from a game stack perspective. So a te- the game stack that's going to be popular this game would be something like uh, on DK, Prescott, Cooper, Lamb, Julio or Ridley. Uh, I think on the other end, it would be something like Ryan, Julio, Ridley, Zeke. Like that would be the other three plus one on the other side. But in comparison to their odds, point per dollar, because you have to either pay up for a running back or pay up for a high price wide receiver like Julio. Like there are other games that you can target where you could still grab a piece of the Falcons Cowboys game and I just I based on our current ownership on, on on Thursday, like this this game is wildly owned. I mean, like wildly owned. And there's like there's like three other games that have nearly a fifty total. Yeah, I mean, I, I have up just our as of uh, probably ten minutes before the show started. I pushed updates, um, you know, to our point uh, projection tool, and it's kind of di- a distributional projection. So with that, you can simulate identify kind of the probability of each team topping the slate and like, yeah, the Cowboys are most likely to do so, but only at a, you know, 10 and a half percent chance, uh, you know, Baltimore is nine, you know, 9.2% chance. They're not like that far behind. Um, you know, there, are, as you go further down, uh, there are other teams that, you know, maybe are two, 3% less likely to top the slate than Dallas, but like at the cost of extreme ownership, you know, I think those are, I think you're, you're willing to trade, you know, four percentage points in the, uh, you know, high, high total kind of probability for, you know, 40 percentage points and kind of cumulative ownership of some of these middling stacks. So, um, yeah, I think it'd be interesting, something to pay attention to, um, this week. Uh, yeah, I mean, Dallas, obviously, you know, huge, huge total, uh, you expect them to go big, but, um, you know, there are other, like you said, there are, there are a number of actually really, uh, you know, high, high, high implied teams this week that, uh, you know, if you can get them at a fraction of ownership, a fraction of cost, could be intriguing, you know, ways to go. And then, like you said, get, you know, get pieces of that game, um, but maybe not get all the pieces, uh, I think could be an interesting. Uh, right. Process. I like attacking. It's very similar to a strategy I do in DF, in uh, NBA GPPs is that, I try to attack the games where the public perception is that the other team is not going to be able to hang in. So like an NBA, if a team is favored by 15 points, a lot of times, you know, they go under own because they're going to be blowing them out. The, the, the starters aren't going to get their last rotation in the player. If you, if you try to stack it up, kind of take two players from one side and one player from the other side, like, well, the starter on the other side ends up not playing fourth quarter minutes either because they're being blown out. So the game goes under-owned. And I look at it as, well, who says they're going to win by 14 points? Maybe maybe the crappy underdog team sticks around. They lose, but they still stick around. So I rarely stack this team because I they tend to go over-owned. But I think this week, I I'm looking at the Ravens Texans game 
with a 50 total and the spread's now up to seven. And I think the, 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 the Lamar's going to be owned. He, he's always owned. So, I mean, you can have a lot of naked Lamar. You can have Lamar and Andrews kind of like skinny stack type of thing piece together and they blow them out or something. Yeah. But what happens if, if the Texans stay in this game? I think, uh, Marquise Brown is overpriced this week at 6,200. I, I, he's a very high variance player. I wasn't big on him last week for 5,100 to play in like cash games or something. But now that he's six, he's 100 less than Amari Cooper. Who the hell is playing Marquise Brown? We have his ownership at like 7%. And if the Ravens do well and the Texans get and can hold on and play with they, these guys, Will Fuller sitting there at, at 6,100 at 4% ownership. And with Hopkins gone, we we saw that, you know, basically Watson throws to him all the time. He's not, he's not doing 20 yard routes. He's doing, he's doing like intermediate stuff. He's, he's, he's playing now. I don't, I don't want to call him like Julian Edelman type, but he's allowing himself to find the spots in the zone and get chunk eight to 10 yard plays. And in order for the Texans to stick around, I would think Fuller would have to have a good game or David Johnson out of the backfield catching passes. And I look at the ownership of this game and as a stack, as a three plus one, it's a 50 total. I think people are shying away from it because yes, it has a higher probability because it's a seven point spread that the Ravens just, you know, it's 35 to seven and just, they just run away with it. But I'm looking based on the ownership of, well, what happens if they don't? What happens if 50 points get scored in the game and it's and it's 30 to 23? Like someone on the Texans has gotten there. Yeah. One thing, I mean, that does like, so we just updated our uh, correlation tool today and I've been, especially ahead of this Thursday night game, been like playing around with it a lot and kind of trying to get a feel for, you know, how players match up. So, um, you know, how, how, how they kind of mesh together and, and what players, you know, should, shouldn't mesh together. So like just backing up for a sec to that uh, Dallas uh, Atlanta game, you know, I'm, I think if I'm trying to get out of stacking that game, but still want pieces to that game, would it make sense to try to find guys in that game that negatively correlate with other players in that game. So like if I want a piece of Dallas, but don't want the whole thing, I want the one guy that's like negative correlation with the other pieces, right? Cause it gives them that, that individual player a higher likelihood of succeeding while others fail. Right. That's right. We- it's, it's, it's natural leverage you're getting, yeah. especially in GPP. I'm going to assume on the Cowboys, it's Zeke. Yeah. I mean, Oh yeah. That, so I was looking at it now. I mean, you have, uh, you know, really good leverage between obvious, uh, sorry, correlation between uh, obviously Dak and his pass catchers. Um, and I think, sorry, as I navigate tabs, um, you know, all, all the pass catchers have good correlation with their opponent. Right. So it's like, if that game, you know, if, if Cooper and Dak blow up uh, you know, there's a decent chance there's due to core, you know, because of correlation, there's kind of an elevated chance that, the opposing team, uh, you know, Atlanta also blows up, but, you know, Zeke has this negative correlation um, with some of the Dallas pass catchers, Gallup, Cooper, um, 
you know, he has pretty much no correlation with Dak, uh, slightly positive. Like that's a guy I think because of those correlation properties is a super interesting piece um, as kind of a, a, an island piece to that game without getting, you know, full kind of pieces of that game. But, right, but um, he's also going to be, I mean, we're also talking about one of the highest on running backs. So it's not like you're, you're gaining le- basically by playing Zeke by himself in GPP. You're not gaining leverage at the running back position because he's going to be owned, but you're gaining leverage over all of the Cowboys double stacks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, but anyways, to complete that thought, um, you know, one one thing I was looking at today was, uh, you know, how some of the top quarterbacks correlated with uh, their opposing offenses, right? Like I think to me, a quarterback that is well-suited for double stacks uh, or – well, not so much actually double stacks, but like stack plus bring back, uh, you know, the idea of running back a receiver uh, on their opposition is a quarterback that correlates well with the cumulative scoring historically of the offense that opposes them. Lamar really hasn't been that guy for really his entire career. He doesn't like negatively correlate, um, but he really like has no correlation with the opposition. Um is that, that is that is, is a lot of that due to his rushing touchdowns? Um, I to me, I actually think it might be more likely due to the strength of his. De- I mean, just a hypothesis. I don't. Oh, the strength of the defense that, like, no matter what he scores, the defense just doesn't give up enough points. Yeah, and like I think when Lamar, you know, and the Ravens boat race their opponent, you know, that the Baltimore defense is really good. That when they can pin their ears back and really pressure the opposing team. Like, I, I really think, I mean, you see it like in these games that Lamar has a huge game, right? The Ravens are winning by like 30 plus points at times. Um, yeah. I mean, so, you so, know, the- so what you're saying, so with the lack of, with the less correlation doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it, it can't happen. Right, that, right. That it's, it's more likely that like, for instance, the stack that I was talking about, the three plus one of, Lamar Brown Andrews Fuller that that in a case where Houston stays around it's Mm -hmm. less it's less I'm not saying it's unlikely but it becomes less likely that Lamar Jackson is the highest scoring quarterback um no I think it's it's the it's kind of like the opposite like if Lamar is the high scoring quarterback no one on the other side of the team no one no one does less likely that Houston stays around but, you know, if, right, like if, but if we want to build lineups conditional on, you know, this scenario that you're describing, um, you know, I think probably Lamar stands a perfectly good chance of being the high scoring quarterback. It's just, um, you know, the data would suggest that kind of probabilistically you're, you're kind of fighting an uphill battle and hoping that Houston does stay around. Okay. So, I mean, but a way then if you didn't want to attack that game with a stack and you take away Lamar, you could just play a, a secondary correlation of Brown plus Fuller or Andrews plus Fuller and go, well, in the case that Houston sticks around, Fuller does well, but Lamar does okay. But Andrews has two touchdowns like then, So you could, so you're not stacking. You're just doing a one plus one. Yeah. Um, and like, I think some, you know, these correlation stuff, sometimes you can get yourself into looking at counterintuitive correlations um, where, 
you know, on the Baltimore side, maybe like it says that Lamar uh, shouldn't correlate well with the success of his opposing offense, but on the Houston side, like Watson does, you know, so like, you know, how, and, and then, you know, what if like Lamar doesn't correlate well, but his receivers correlate well with success of the opposition, you know, you do kind of get yourself into looking at when, when you're kind of triangulating correlation, you, you do kind of sometimes get yourself into this, uh, I guess, tangled web of, uh, you know, contradictory correlations that, you know, you kind of have to pick which side you believe to be, I don't know, like most salient. Um, I think it's an interesting exercise for me. I usually am trying to just like look at the different webs of correlation and see like, all right, which webs have the most agreement, you know, where the pieces just kind of fit well on both sides. Um, Houston, Baltimore seems to have like some pieces that suggest a fit, uh, some pieces. And like, also, I'm not saying Lamar is negatively correlated with his opponent. He's just, it's just like, it's like, I think like a plus like 0.05 or something like that. So it's just like, it's just like a a non-correlation. That means that, you know, Houston uh, as as an offense is just as likely to kind of reach their upper 50% performance as they are to achieve their lower 50% performance. Um, you know, there are correlation instances that, you know, have worse scenarios than that. I mean, take, you know, Zeke and uh, some of those Dallas receivers, right? Like that's a strong negative correlation where, um, you know, you're like really fighting an uphill battle. I guess I, I said, I said you're fighting an uphill battle to, in that in hopes that Houston offense produces in the midst of a Lamar breakout. Um, not so much that you're fighting an uphill battle, but you're just not fighting like a down, you know, you're not just like rolling. Right. I'm not, I'm not going downhill. I'm not gaining anything. It's like, I'm doing something a little bit just like neutral. It could happen. It's, it's like, I'm not gaining any advantage. No, I get it. But you have to agree that with a 50 total, that in comparison to the Falcons Cowboys game, that the ownership difference is dramatic. Oh, definitely. I mean, that, that's, I think, you know, in kind of looping back to this, uh, you know, study I did of last week's Millionaire Makers. I mean, I think Baltimore was a team that got overlooked last week. Um, <clears throat> and there was, you know, they were the top total on on the slate last week and still got overlooked. And now they're no longer the top total And that. I mean, Dallas-Atlanta game just has some really, really compelling pieces. Um, like Baltimore is, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, almost as likely as Dallas to, you know, be the high score on the slate. Uh, I agree. The pricing on uh, particularly Brown is um, a little discouraging, but um, still doesn't mean you can't, like you said, go skinny with like, uh, you know, I think Andrews is still at a pretty good price. Um, You know, Lamar is, is what he is, you know, that's, he's kind of going to be above eight, I think until we see reason for it to be otherwise like, um, yeah, I think this is a game that probably will go overlooked. And right, uh, I mean, I, I readily admit that that they're overpriced. I mean, but it's it's not a matter of they're overpriced can't play him. It's they're overpriced, so I have to look at is are they worth it for their ceiling at their ownership? And I don't mind like some t- some people call it paying up to be contrarian. Well, mm-hmm. that's really what you're doing because if you told me Marquise Brown was going to be fourteen percent, eighteen percent on the slate at sixty two hundred, I I would I would. I wouldn't be thinking about it. It's more the fact that, yes, he, he is obviously overpriced in the in the grand scheme of the slate with the Cowboys receivers and other receivers in that price range. So 
that lowers his ownership. I mean, yeah. the whole goal, the whole goal that, you know, that we're trying to talk about for, for, for those that may be a, a first time a listener viewer is that, you know, we're attacking these large field GPPs. So like when you mentioned that, Oh, Lamar is not as correlated to the other side. It's like, well, both sides could do well, but is it going to do well enough to beat 400,000 people in a contest? So you're trying to get, like, if I could squeak out more positive correlation, like, I'm looking to squeak out more positive. I'm looking to squeak out as much leverage and as much positive correlation as possible because I'm looking I'm looking to win a million dollars because, like, on DraftKings, like, it's, it, it, I mean, it was nice. It was nice seeing the teams back on the gridiron over the weekend, wasn't it? Wasn't it nice to see the teams back out on the gridiron, Stewart? It was. Lucky not- for us, that was just week one. <laughs> and there's no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings. It's the leader in one-day fantasy sports. Daily fantasy sports. One day. Yeah, it's one day. It's daily, right? To add to this week's excitement, DraftKings has millions, millions of dollars in total prizes up for grabs. If you haven't tried DraftKings yet, which I don't know why you'd be listening to the show, maybe you're on a maybe you're on a competitor site. But if you haven't tried DraftKings yet, head to the App Store now. At now, like right now, like I'll wait for you. Go to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. Draft your lineup now and feel the sweat like never before. Every run, pass, and catch means more with DraftKings. It's simple. I mean, we're talking about it. You just pick your lineup, play whoever you want. As long as you stay under the salary cap and see how your team stacks up against the competition. We're talking about stacks. You want to stack your competitors. Nothing adds to the excitement of watching the game quite like having a shot at millions of dollars in prizes. DraftKings has paid out billions. That's with a B. Billions of dollars to winners since 2012. So they know a thing or two about cold, hard cash. And I've won some of those GPPs, not not in the millions. In the hundreds of thousands, so so I know I know a thing or two about kind of like lukewarm cash. So download the DraftKings app now and use the code DFF. Okay, the code is DFF. For a limited time, new users can get a free shot at millions, millions, or whatever. Millions, like uh like Austin Powers. Millions of dollars in prizes this week. Don't miss out on the week two action. Enter the code DFF to get a free shot. A free shot at millions of dollars in prizes with your first deposit. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. That's code DFF, only at DraftKings. Make it rain. So we're trying to get these millions of dollars, Stuart. But we have other total, like we have higher total games. Look, Packers-Lions, 49 and a half. I, I, I know Devontae Adams is still going to be popular at, at 8,100 uh, because of the, the Packers kind of very condensed attack. But I mean, I mean, I've listened to plenty of shows like, like no one's talking about stacking this game. And if, if Galladay is out again, like with so many people that got burned with Marvin Jones last week, Ooh. Right. Doesn't, doesn't it make sense? I mean, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I mean, it's hard to calculate ownership because the ownership has, has Galladay factored in, but still like 13%. Okay. He's not like single digit ownership, but doesn't that make sense that if you stack this game, like you could, you could skinny stack like Rogers, Adams, Jones, or do something like Stafford, Jones, Adams. And like, I don't, 
do you even need to double you double stack with the lines with like a Hawkinson? It's a 49 and a half total. Uh, I mean, I, the, the running games on both sides, it's teams that kind of, I mean, I mean, I think uh, people think of Patricia as someone that wants to run first, but we we've seen last year, like he'll let Stafford throw the ball. You kind of, based on the spread is six points. We expect the lines to be behind. So like what, doesn't it make sense that at a 49 and a half total, like no one's talking, people are talking about pieces and mostly Adams, but the stack of this game, like I, I'm, I'm hearing nothing about. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, it's a strong total game. Uh, you figure competitive, right? It's actually one of these, um, I mean, Dallas Atlanta is actually a pretty close spread, but yeah, I mean, this game figures to be close um, to me. Adams feels like a building block really either way you go. Um, but there is, I think, some optionality in kind of how you work around, um, you know, building around Adams, right? Like you could go Rogers Adams, but I think you could just as easily do Stafford and a Detroit pass catcher or multiple pass catchers and bring Adams back on the other side. I mean, I think, uh, you know, Green Bay proved last week that I think Lazard or MVS are viable, uh, you know, options. Be interesting to see if no Galladay, um, not sure, I uh, haven't really heard much buzz about him, but Quintus Cephas got 10 targets. He only caught three of them, but got 10 targets from Detroit last week. I think, um, you know, we'll, we'll see if people kind of get scared away from Marvin Jones. And, you know, there's really no way to know that until uh, after lock. But, um, you know, I think on the Detroit side, you could go Hawkinson. You could go Jones. Um, I think Quintus Cephas is a deep, but, uh, you know, if no God, a viable uh, option to bring back on the Green Bay stack. Um, yeah, I mean, I wonder if, uh, like, I feel like in PGA uh, contests, sometimes you see, like, a ownership hangover on the winner uh, the prior week. Like, people will shy away from the winner because and like you know rogers got a price bump sure but like you know it's, it's kind of it's kind of the i i always make fun of this Stuart. it's like the gambler's fallacy in the reverse because you get some people some people in daily fantasy and just same in like poker or any other type of thing like that where you see it in pga also in dfs where like oh i, I can't play the last week's winner because the chances of them winning two weeks in a row <laughs> or what, I was like, well, it, you're not calculated. It's just the same as, well, it came up red on the roulette wheel six times in a row, so I can't bet red. But then there's also people that are like, well, it came up six times in a row. It's a hot color. I got to bet red. So, I mean, you'll have people that are like, well, Rogers is back. I'm pl- he did well last week. I'm going to play Rogers Adams again. And then there are people that are like, well, he didn't want, what's the chances of Rogers having two good weeks? There's no way I play him. I think uh, just, uh, again, hypothesizing that it's like when you expected it to go red and it does, then you're like, oh, you know, I got like, it's definitely, you know, it's going to keep going red because like I saw that coming, uh, you know, when the roulette wheel lands on Rogers and you didn't see it coming, um, you know, you're like, oh, well that, you know, can't, can't happen again. Like, uh, you know, it's a fluke, right? Like, like I think the mind tends to, assume that perceived flukes won't happen again and perceived um, expected outcomes that do occur will continue to expectedly occur. Um, 
you know, two years ago, I think uh, a Rod, you know, a Rogers explosion game would probably fall in the expected outcome that did occur. But um, yeah, I mean, I think this is a super interesting game. Uh, we have Green Bay as you know fifth most likely to top the slate in terms of real points, uh, about two two and change uh, percent less likely than like Dallas. And I mean, I just think, you know, aside from Adams, like this whole game is going to go so under owned uh, compared to some of those higher total games, uh, you know, Baltimore, Dallas, Atlanta, Kansas city. Uh, yeah. I think, think a pretty interesting spot. Um, you know, one, one worth considering. Um, I think, I, go ahead. I think a similar type game is, uh, is uh, Vikings Colts. Currently is a 48 and a half total. A lot of these totals have bumped up. Like the Lions Packers game opened at 46 and a half and that's, it's up to 49 and a half. So maybe that's why people haven't noticed that it's a, it's getting up there, the total, but the Vikings Colts game, we're going to see Jonathan Taylor be super running back chalk on this, on this slate. Uh, Do you think from a, from a, you were talking about looking for, plays that are negatively correlated to ownership. Don't you think that the under owned side where the Colts still put up, this game turns into a semi shootout that the, the leverage would be to play rivers Campbell Hilton with no Taylor. And that like basically Taylor and Hines kind of split work. No one gets there. And there's three touchdowns, four touchdowns through the air. And you run it back with Thielen and yeah, Thielen's got a bump in price. I know Thielen is not like, like he got there last week in the fourth quarter. Like he's not a type of receiver that busts out for big plays because I mean, he's just not that type. Uh, I don't know if people are going to have recency bias and go back to Thielen for ownership. I mean, I could look right here, our current uh, projected ownership on Thielen is, uh, let me see. Thielen is seven and a half percent. But one of the things that I like doing, uh, especially, I mean, I, I say this every week. I mean, it's the same type. It, it's always that 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 psychological mindset of people think they know more than they know. I'm going to take advantage of the fact that, like, before the first week, it's like, well, what does anyone know? They think they know. And then half the stuff happens and... Uh, and it isn't. But now we have a one week, we have one game sample. How much do you know in a one game sample? Who knows? Everyone's saying that T.Y. Hilton is no longer the number one receiver for the Colts because Paris Campbell got, what, 10 targets or something in a game where they had to come back? Well, who says that T.Y. Hilton isn't the number one receiver? He's under 6K. And if you're going to get some natural leverage, negatively correlation, or negative correlation against Chalk Jonathan Taylor, even if you don't want to double stack, I mean, what, what's wrong with, and people are like, oh, Rivers just dumps off to his, his running back, right? Like every, that's, that's the narrative now. Like Rivers is going unowned practically. Hilton is going single digit owned. We'll get some Paris Campbell because he's cheap and some recency bias, but who says that maybe you, maybe you play the three plus one here. And to me, it's like natural leverage. Cause like if Taylor's going to be 30 plus percent owned, and the Colts still get there, and Taylor doesn't get there, that's going to be how it happens. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's like week one, uh, people super fearful of 
I think, unknown kind of volume shares, whether it's through receiving core uh, or on, on the ground. And then week two, you know, maybe if that, uh, I mean, I don't know that Indianapolis was a perceived unclear, um, you know, volume share, but uh, yeah, you do see like some of the kind of chips move, uh, you know, throughout the roster and yeah. And then it's like week two, it's like, Oh, okay. Well, what we saw week one will be exactly, you know, the pecking order for the remainder of the season. I mean, yeah, I think T Y Hilton uh, is an interesting leverage spot here. Um, I don't know. My fear just with this game is that I do think both of these defenses are pretty decent defenses. And well, we saw it last week. Vikings were horrible, but yeah. like I said, it's a one game sample size. What do we know? Yeah, I mean, his, historically, I think they've been uh, more so on Indianapolis' side than uh, Minnesota. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, Indianapolis was a team with a, a real solid total uh, last week that went largely under-owned uh, relative to their price points. Um, you know, perception being that they have a super strong offensive line and, you know, two – running backs that they're just going to ground and pound with. And, uh, you know, that kind of turned out not necessarily to be the case, uh, you know, playing from behind against Jacksonville was a bit unexpected, but like, uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, we kind of have to be willing to, um, yeah, I don't know, detach from, from kind of what, 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 um, you know, what we thought coming in and, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting spot. I think probably one that I I might be inclined to, to stay away from aside from like, yeah, I mean, I do think Hilton is, is interesting. Um, right. The, the only reason I'm interested, if it wasn't for the fact that Jonathan Taylor was super chalk, mm-hmm. like I don't feel like I'm gaining enough. I, 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 I don't necessarily love the stacks of this game other than the fact that it's, it's easy, natural leverage. Off. I mean, obviously the leverage would be the Colts only put up 14 points and no one in the game yeah. goes. I'm just going from the fact that if Taylor fails, but the Colts win, like at their prices, that could that's, that could work. Yeah. I'd have to go back and look at – to. I, I don't have a great understanding off the top of like how, uh, you know, Rivers or the Viking side kind of correlates with performance of the opposition. I mean, would, would a reasonable approach you think be to – say, okay, well, I don't want, you know, to, to fill up my roster with this game, but I do want, you know, I I think, like you said, that piece of leverage against Taylor is very compelling. I mean, is there a route where this game goes, you know, as expected, pretty solid scoring game, but isn't, you know, a slate breaking game, but, you know, you say, all right, well, what if the game goes as expected and T.Y. Hilton takes two touchdowns away from Taylor or Jack Doyle, you know, catches two, two, you know, uh, inside 10 uh, touchdown catches and, you know, Taylor whiffs on the end zone or, um, you know, I, to me, I think that feels like the way I might want to consider this game as opposed to filling it up um, with this game. But um, yeah, I mean, I agree. It's, it's a compelling total and probably will go overlooked. Um, I, I think one to kind of keep on the radar, but I, I probably won't, be like filling up uh, on this on this game. Would you would you describe that very similarly to the Tampa Bay Panthers game? Because that's a forty eight total. The Bucks have a twenty eight point seven five implied 
total here. They're the biggest favorite on the slate. And I don't know if you've looked on Twitter or in the DFS community, no one wants to play Tom Brady, right? Godwin is in the concussion protocol. People seem to be off of Evans. Uh, no one trusts the, 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 the running backs. And, but it's, it's a 28. And I mean, like I'm looking at this going McCaffrey's probably overpriced, but like I could play a DJ more. If he catches that touchdown at the end, he'd have a hundred yards and a touchdown. We wouldn't be talking about, is he the number one receiver in in Carolina? But like, when do we see the third hot? What? I think they're the third highest implied of the second. I mean, they're, they're even above Baltimore currently. Yeah. And it seems like no one wants to, no one wants people are like, Oh, maybe I could play Scotty Miller or something. Like that's what people are talking about. Like, is there, is there a path, especially if Godwin misses, because we talked about before that the, the stack, if you're going to play Brady plus Godwin plus Evans, like it, that, that stack price is just, eh. and Ronald Jones can cast uh, pass uh, catch passes out of the backfield. Like to me, I'm looking at like with this total, just based on long-term correlation, why aren't I playing either Ronald Jones as a one-off? Yeah. And why aren't I playing at least a skinny stack of Brady Evans or something like that? It's a, it's a, they have the second highest implied total and their ownership. I mean, I'm going to go look at, look at their ownership now. I don't care about Brady's ownership because he's tied to the receivers, but Godwin, we have currently have 2.8% ownership, but I mean, yes, he may miss Evans, 8% Miller Miller. I mean, he's not even calculated in yet. Uh, I mean, like Ronald Jones is, is 5.8% currently like, this is like less ownership than the Baltimore the Ravens. And we saw, thought they were under owned. Am I, am I just missing something? Is it just that people are off of the Buccaneers because of the perception of last week? Yeah. I, I don't know. I'd be interested to know how ownership projections for Tampa Bay last week compared to the eventual ownership levels. Cause I mean, they were egregiously over owned last week. And I think, I would expect a combination of ownership scaling back on them a bit, you know, because of what happened last week. And then I think they do have like a way better matchup this week. So, you know, I expect that to kind of level things out to the point. um, I don't know. I expect it to kind of get like at efficient level. Um, You know, maybe though there is a chance that a combination of just, you know, if, if, uh, kind of bullishness on Tampa Bay just plummets. And I think this is like an incredible matchup for them. Uh, you know, they, they over uh, overachieve based on kind of what our perception of them was based on last week. You know, yeah, I think th- there is a possibility that they get under owned um, to me though. I think the, I don't know, the, like Tampa Bay, at least going back to last year, the, like they're a difficult team to double stack. I mean, Godwin and Evans just like have not shown an ability to go off in conjunction. It's kind of one or the other. So, I mean, like that's why I was talking before about I'm more interested if Godwin is out. Yeah. Like to me, if Godwin is in, I may have peace. I may, I may have a skinny stack. I may have a one, one or just pieces or like, yeah. Like the double stack is only to me is only good if we remove one of the expensive receivers and I could play them with a Miller or a Howard or right. a Jones, even with the, 
running back because now the stack price gets gets much cheaper. So, yeah. like, yes, I agree with you that that the correlation between Godwin and Evans has been shown to be co- very negatively correlated with one another, especially based on price. Right. Um, all right. Cool. Yeah, I think we're in agreement there. Um, yeah, I think Rojo is to me the at least most obvious, but maybe that will be obvious to far more people uh, come Sunday. But I mean, God, Carolina last year was, I mean, you just wanted to go after them on the ground anytime you had an opportunity. Uh, You know, we saw Jacobs just torch them last week. And I think people are concerned that Fournette and McCoy are taking, going to take work from them. Yeah. I mean, I don't, look, look how though that worked out. And I don't, I'm doing exactly what you're kind of saying is you should avoid, but like, I mean, I think people were concerned about Mostert's, uh, you know, workload last week and like. It was and, the alpha. Yeah. And like, I don't know, you know, I don't have kind of Jones uh, market share of rushes in front of me, but um, I mean, God, it's just such a good matchup. And like all, all it takes is one, I know he's not, you know, a known kind of home run hitter, but uh, to me, Carolina is a rush defense that I would want to bet against. Um, to me, Jones seems like a good way to just gain simple, easy access to the high total um, without, you know, spending huge on, um, you know, Tampa Bay receiving. I want to touch on two more games, sure. one that I like and one that I may, I may end up with no one from, but they're both 47 totals. The one that I don't want no one from that. I feel, I feel like I want no one from is the Rams Eagles game 47 total. The it's now flipped. Now the Rams are a one and a half point favorite Eagles opened as a three point favorite. It's now flipped. Uh, to me, I mean, I guess I could see myself playing Woods. I guess I could see myself playing Cup. Uh, I'm unsure about the the backfield against the Eagles' rushing defense because you got Brown, you got Akers. Henderson's going to be healthier. Uh, and then on the Eagles' side, Sanders is going to be back, uh, like Ertz and Goddard, and then Rager is, is healthy, and De- De- Deshaun Jackson's there. Like, it just seems like these teams just have so many pieces that like, if this game goes off, like I'm going to need 50 combinations in order to capture who, what the hell three plus one. Like I could see, yes, I could see maybe, maybe having a little bit of Woods, a little bit of Deshaun Jackson, but like as far as if I wanted to stack this game, I need, I, I'd almost need to have 40. I, I, I need to commit so many more lineups because like, oh, I got the right Eagle stack, but instead of Woods, it's cup that went off. Like I, I, I don't, I don't want to get, it seems like a situation where either I'm taking pieces or I'm fading the stat. Like I, I, it could get there, but I just, uh, who do I take? Yeah. I mean, the Eagles are a weird team. Like they, you look at their receiving core and there are a few players that stand out, but it is a, yeah, insanely crowded receiving core in that you know, it's just a bunch of like mid-level guys and it makes it, I think, really not that interesting of a team to try to stack up. Um, yeah, because it, it's just like so crowded with kind of middling talent. Um, you know, it's, I think, you know, both these defenses are pretty decent. Uh, you know, Philadelphia's got the offensive line woes that make, um, 
you know, playing some of their offensive pieces a little concerning. Um, yeah, I don't have too much on this game, um, but yeah, I think agree uh, off the, uh, you know, knee-jerk reaction is, yeah, probably a spot to, to not get too invested in. Uh, but the game that I do like that has a 47 total is the Cardinals Redskins. Kyler Murray, probably going to be one of the chalkier quarterbacks. Kenyon Drake is going to get ownership at running back. Christian Kirk is going to get some ownership as a cheap wide receiver at 4,300. No one's talking about DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> it, it seems like we have all, we have a kind of chalkyish piece, not like, not full fledged chalk like Falcons Raiders, like Falcons Cowboys, but like people are talking about, oh, I'm going to play Murray, I'm going to play Kirk. I'll play a little Drake, like, but no one's talking about the stack. No one's talking about, well, why can't I play Murray with Kirk with Hopkins and then run it back with McLaurin? Like no one don't know. Like to me, that seems like the most in this game. If you told me, give me three plus one, like I can name it. Like that is, that is it. Like there's, well, who else would you be playing? Like those would be the four players. I think the combination of the four Hopkins will still get ownership. We're projecting him somewhere in like 12% range. Kirk will probably get somewhere in the 8 to 10% range. Mario will get 10% or so. And McLaurin will get 10%. Like, they're not, none of these guys are like low owned, but the combination are people doing it. I, I, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. I mean, uh, Hopkins was a guy coming in this year that people just kind of the industry decided that, you know, we're going to be low on Hopkins. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he came out and was huge week one. And, uh, and I think, I, I think, Stuart, that we're getting the reverse perception. We're getting reverse recency bias. Like the original perception you mentioned before, because of the way that the Cardinals played offense last year, that they just spread it wide. Like you can't predict where the targets are going to go. And then in week one, you could just predict that DeAndre Hopkins is not going to, it's just going to get everything. And then people are just like, well, that was one, that was one week. It's not, it, it's not going to happen. It, uh, Christian Kirk will get his and Fitz will get his. Isabella will get some. Drake will catch passes out of the backfield. Well, who says that DeAndre Hopkins to Kyler Murray isn't the same DeAndre Hopkins that was to Watson. We're, so many people are playing Julio. So many people are playing Devonte Adams and sitting right between them in the salary structures, Hopkins. And this stack just makes it's like, what, what other stack is? I mean, I'm not playing Steven Sims on the other side. I'm not going to go into Antonio Gibson again. I'm probably not going to play Drake with the stack. Like, is like the tight ends don't matter. Maybe Logan Thomas. Okay, maybe I could run it back with Logan Thomas on the other side. But to me, this is the game that if I wanted to take 10 out of 100 lineups, it would be the same four players. Like, I... And then I could rotate around there. And if the stack goes off, then I, I I don't have to guess here. Right. And it's still with Chalky. And it's not like I'm gaining a ton of leverage individually, but I think as a four man, it's going to be less than, it's going to be less than a half a percent owned in a combination. Yeah. I mean, I, um, yeah, I think it seems like a, like a strong spot and um, yeah. I mean, I think, we could kind of be like stubborn in that, oh, okay, we thought, you know, Hopkins was going to come in and just be lost in the shuffle and continue to double down on that. It's, it's interesting. I mean, cause like, you know, we've been talking about not trying to overreact to week one, um, but it is 
and I don't, I don't know that I have an answer. Maybe you can shed some light on kind of what you think the right approach is, but like, yeah, we don't want to overreact to week one, but like, we also don't want to underreact to week one and, you know, let kind of preconceived notions uh, that were debunked with granted one piece of data. Um, but, you know, certainly one piece of Arizona data with DeAndre Hopkins was more than we've ever had. Um, you know, why would, why would we not, you know, take a see in, in the one game that Hopkins has played with Murray and, you know, you can look back at Murray's team last year and that they didn't really have any piece like DeAndre Hopkins. Um, I don't know. I think it'd be somewhat silly to not at least take some notice on, um, you know, what, what we saw and kind of the only piece of data we have. Um, well, I mean, you mentioned the cognitive dissonance before with the expected versus the unexpected. De- Devontae Adams was super chalk last week at 7,300 because like, will we expect Devontae Adams to get a large target share from Rodgers in that Packers offense? He got 40% of targets, which is higher than his normal, like 31%. And now all of a sudden people are like, well, he's 8,100. I'm going to play him until he's 9,500 because like I am expecting that to happen. And Hopkins started high priced people didn't expect him to be worth it and now it shows that he could be worth it and people are just like oh well well no since i didn't expect that it can't happen again it's the same type of psychological fallacy there uh so like compared to ownership i rank in those in that top tier i rank hopkins number one compared to ownership i rank hopkins one julio two and and adams three i think adams is going to go over owned I mean, he's still a great play. I mean, great. I mean, he's still Devontae Adams, but he's going to be the highest on wide receiver in that range. So I, I'm I'm much more likely to, like, I'm, if I'm playing a chalkier lineup, I I I don't mind playing Hopkins as a one-off. I don't mind. I can play him in a skinny stack against uh, with Murray. I can play McLaurin and Hopkins against each other in a non-stack, cor- secondary correlation. And a 12% ownership, if you told me Hopkins has 12 catches for 140 yards and two touchdowns, like, we shouldn't be shocked. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I like, and that, that stack just makes a lot of sense from a, um, you know, cor- correlation standpoint. Uh, so I'm, I just have it up here in front of me. I'm looking at it. Um, you know, Hopkins guys always correlated well with his quarterback. And, you know, I... I could see maybe some narrative where it's like, you know, a, a, a running threat quarterback doesn't have, you know, ideal correlation with primary receiver, but in the two years when Hopkins was with Watson and uh, Houston uh, plus plus 0.37 correlation, pretty strong, uh, you know, Murray correlation with the cumulative scoring of the opposing offense uh, plus 0.36, also quite strong McLaurin on the other side, uh, plus 0. 0.34 uh, correlation with opposing offenses. I mean, this is like, you know, we talked about how with Baltimore and Houston, there are some contradictory pieces where, you know, the Houston side correlates with their opponent uh, well, but the Baltimore side doesn't. And it's kind of like at that point, you kind of just got to decide what you believe. But like, this is a case where I think the pieces just all come together really nicely. Like, Hopkins, great correlation with his quarterback, typically, um, historically. Uh, I know it's a new quarterback, but uh, you would hope that some of that, some of those properties that lend itself to that correlation carry over 
Uh, you know, I do think Murray and Watson do similar things with their ability to, uh, you know, obviously uh, make plays on their feet, uh, both gaining points by rushing and also extending plays. Um, and then you see just good cross game correlation between the receiving pieces that we're discussing here. To me, this is a really good spot where, uh, you know, all the pieces that we're discussing kind of mesh together in a correlative net that um, or web that like, I think kind of is ideal, I guess, in what you're looking for. So um, yeah, I think I agree with you. Good spot. Okay. So the rest of the games on the slate are 44 totals and below. So they are obviously significantly lower uh, chance of uh, being the the top scoring team. Uh, Is there anything that you would either in those games that would disagree with that? That, you know, they have a low total, but they've, I mean, obviously aren't going to be like towards the top of the list, but could maybe get there compared to ownership or they're just pieces of each of these games. Because there's all, I mean, we're talking about games that are, that are less likely to be targeted. So for instance, I think in the remaining games, the, the, the Jacksonville Titans game, you're going to see Henry, you know, be popular. I think uh, in the, like the Jets San Francisco game, maybe you see some like cheap Herndon tight end uh, Bills. You may see some Bills Dolphins. You may see some Josh Allen kind of mixed in there. And then the Steelers Broncos, you may see some Melvin Gordon because uh, Philip Lindsay is injured. You may see some Deontay Johnson because he's a cheaper 4K type of wide receiver. But like, like to me, I'm looking at like the Giants Bears game and with tape back, like the Giants – like, do I want Saquon Barkley uh, in a game where they only have an 18.25 implied total? Probably not. But I am looking on the other side. This may sound nuts. <laughs> it may sound absolutely bonkers. It's not going to. I think. Okay. Jonathan Taylor is 5,700. He's going to be 30 plus percent owned. I mean, I think we have him even higher. We currently have him projected as 36% owned. Okay. I... We go to the Colts, the the total, the implied total and the spread is very correlative to running back performance, right? We know that. So the Colts have a 25.75 implied total, okay? Jonathan Taylor, 36% owned. The Bears have a 23.75 implied total, so it's still lower. They're a five and a half point favorite at home. 100 less from Jonathan Taylor is a guy that is going to be 2% owned. And his name is David Montgomery. Am I absolutely nuts to think that against a crappy Giants defense that David Montgomery can't have a game where he has 20 carries for 100 yards and a touchdown? Um, no, I don't think for for the 2% ownership, I'm not saying in general, I know it's a lower percent chance, but to me, it doesn't sound nuts. If you just, the bears have a, have a, have a total that you're playing running backs in similar. I mean, the Titans have a similar total. I mean, like, like why wouldn't you play the running back on a team that's favored by five and a half points at home that has a quarterback that uh, the coach may not trust all that much. Yeah, no, off the cuff, it doesn't sound that crazy. Uh, David Montgomery is a guy who I don't really frequently consider. Me neither. I know, Stu. I know. I know. I know it's crazy. 
so the point being is that I'm just like not that familiar with kind of the uh, ebbs and flows of, of his usage. Um, I thought you were going to go down the whole uh, Mitch Trubisky, Cohen, Miller, Robinson. No, I'm not even talking about stacks. I don't want to stack this game. No, no. I God. I find my I find myself into I find myself talking myself into Mitch Trubisky plus Robinson and or Miller and or Cohen. I mean, but who do you take on the other side? Uh, I mean, it's there. There's no logic with trying to uh, talk yourself into Mitch Trubisky stuff. Um, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's not even worth like talking about on this show. It's a it's a real problem that I gotta get a hold of. Um, let's see. I mean, yeah, Montgomery clearly kind of the lead back for um, Chicago last week, and um, yeah, I mean, to me that 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 sounds reasonable. Um, you know, I don't have much of a much of an opinion or take on it, but it's an owner. It's a, it's a purely based salary, positional ownership, leverage. Montgomery rarely gets there. He gets hurt a lot. I mean, like, I, I it's like I said, it sounds crazy, but for, if you took the names off, if I took Jonathan Taylor's name off or Montgomery's name off, and showed you two guys that uh, you know, it, based on the if I looked at the blitz, Taylor has a median currently based on projections of sixteen a floor of seven and a ceiling of 26. So that's like the, the 25th to 75th percentile outcomes. So that's 16. If I look at Montgomery in the same model, his median is 12 and his floor is four and his ceiling is 21. So yeah, it's obviously lower. I mean, it's significantly enough lower. It's four points median lower, but we're talking about an ownership difference of 15 times at the same price. I mean, I don't even have to adjust for price. I mean, it's not, this is not a call. If this happens, if Montgomery does well, I didn't call this. I'm just, I'm just using the math to go a guy at the same price at the, at, and like, why can't I play? I, I mean, I could play Montgomery in a lineup where I'm playing chalky guy. I mean, like, just don't play Taylor in that lineup. And then boom, I could play that in single entry. Yeah. Um, no, off the cuff, I think it uh, sounds reasonable. I think just looking at players priced around that point, I'd probably be more partial to a guy. Like- I like Rojo better. I like, I, I agree with you. I know you're going to say Rojo. I like Rojo better. Yeah. But I guess Rojo probably has like what, probably two, three X uh, ownership of Montgomery even as well. So um, no, off the cuff, I mean, yeah, I think, think it makes sense. Um, Why not play both? That's true. Why not? Right. So uh, anything else before we get out of here? Uh, I mean, I, I know we didn't cover some of the, 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 the quote crappier games, but I think, I mean, you've shown through your, your analysis and the data that the higher total games are more likely to produce higher fantasy point totals. And for large, extra, super large field GPPs, that's really the games that we should be targeting with stacks. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, going for these middling, you know, if you want to be off some of the super high games going for the middle of the pack games is, you know, more advantageous than going for some of these. I mean, some of these low, uh, you know, low teams like the uh, Giants, you know, less than 1% chance to lead the slate in total scoring. Like that's just, I mean, you know, maybe build one of your 150 lineups with the Giants if you want, but like, I mean, you're getting, when you get down there, you're looking at some really minuscule probabilities. Um, I think where probably the more strategic approach lies is yeah, targeting some of these teams that are, 
not within the top three or four, but in kind of that next tier, um, you know, potentially a good way to go. And I, and I think we did a good job of touching on some of those games, you know, Green Bay, um, you know, Tampa Bay, uh, et cetera. So, um, yeah. I got so no- you, uh, Stuart, we can find you on Twitter at both the advanced sports analytics, Twitter, as well as you don't use your personal one that often. Not really. I mean, um, yeah, I just use the ASA Twitter. Um, we changed our handle this off season. I think it's AS analytics DFS. Um, yeah. So you don't Twitter. even know. Yeah. Our, I mean, I'm not even going to say it on air, but our, our, our previous Twitter handle was like so uh, bad. I think uh, it was like advanced sports ADV or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it was pretty bad. So um, we, we scoured uh, the internet to try to find a better handle, but uh, man, all, all the good ones have been snatched up. So right. Uh, blend, even Blenderhead has been snatched up. That's why I'm Blender HD I mean, on Twitter. <laughs> you can find me there. And uh, if you want to get $5 off a core four premium subscription to Roto-Grinders, click on the link in the description of this video, rotogrinders.com slash media slash ASA, $5 off your first month of Roto-Grinders core four premium. That's NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA. You get all the content, the lineup HQ access, ownership projections, a ton of content, access to the premium discord, which I am in a lot of the, uh, the analysts and the pros, uh, we're in all the time. I'm in way more often than I should be in all the channels, sports specific channels. So if you want access to me and all of the other pros at Roto grinders, get your core four premium subscription, $5 off, click on the link. So, uh, for Stuart, I'm Jordan Cooper. This has been the Advanced Sports Analytics Show on rotogrinders.com.